a long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away. You're listening to Star Wars Beyond the Films, the official expanded universe podcast of StarWarsReport.com. There is a great disturbance in the Force. That's right, Whistler. Welcome to Episode 70 of Star Wars Beyond the Films, your Star Wars discussion podcast, your ticket to the EU. Our episodes broadcast on the Star Wars Report website, www.StarWarsReport.com. Episodes can also be found on iTunes and right on our own Facebook page at SW Beyond Films. But enough about how you got here. Let's get this show started. I'm one of your hosts, the defender of the EU, the champion of the multiverse, Mark Herleman. And with me, like a Wookiee with a life debt, the EU guru, the Count of Continuity, Mr. Nathan P. Butler. Hey, everybody. What's going on? It's about time we got around to uh, uh, this episode. We had to make it a regular episode to get a chance to actually do it. Nice and long, as yeah, yes, Whistler. It's very long. Uh, in fact, we even had some. It was so big, we were having issues with our tech. We had to send it incognito through the back lines of the internet. <laughs> That's right. We haven't done a feedback episode in many, many moons, so we've got quite a bit that's uh, that's been somewhat backed up over the most recent uh, months here. Here at Star Wars Beyond the Films, we ask the tough questions. Questions that have bothered you for a long time, or those simple ones that have perplexed you off and on. You ponder about Star Wars and so do we. This episode, we respond to your questions and ponders. This week, your thoughts and opinions on Star Wars are the star. Consider this your spoiler warning, Beyonders and Sentients of All Ages, because here we go. That's right, and our first bit of feedback comes from Sean. Sean says, Hey there, Beyond the Film guys. I recently found your podcast, and I'm really digging it. With the news about Lucasfilm's sale to Disney, I went hunting for some Star Wars podcasts to listen to. Coincidentally enough, about six months ago, now, this was sent in November, gives you a sense of how far behind we are, I started rereading my Extended Universe books, starting with the Thrawn Trilogy and Dark Empire, and I'm on the Jedi Academy Trilogy right now. The last time I was reading a lot of EU books was in 1996-1997. I read the Thrawn Trilogy, the Dark Empire and Crimson Empire comics, the Jedi Academy Trilogy, the X-Wing books, and recently I caught up on Darth Plagueis and the Vader Trilogy by Lucino and Stover, and the Star Wars Legacy comic. I've missed the rest of the last 15 years of Star Wars EU books and comics, and I'd like to continue from where I left off, following the EU after Return of the Jedi. If you have any input, I'd like to know which books or comics I should definitely check out and which I can pass on without missing much. I'm a comic book podcaster, podcasting about Valiant comics at OnlyTheValiant.com, so I appreciate all the work you put into your show. You do a great job. Thanks, Sean. Awesome. That That's a, yeah, you know, uh, I, I like something you said that threw me off for a second was the Vader trilogy, because I forgot that that was marketed as a trilogy later because I read them as they came out as single books. I was like, what trilogy? I don't, I don't know what trilogy. Uh, interesting, though, that you jumped off when you did. Uh, there's quite a bit of comics there. Uh, another thing you'd mentioned, though, that, that had me interested was the news of Lucas's uh, sale to Disney 
had you searching for Star Wars podcasts. I, I wonder how many other people out there are, are just now turning to podcasts in general for their Star Wars news. Because, I mean, it's not like we really report on it. We just kind of give our opinion on it. Uh, in this case, though, with your books and, and your EU stuff like that, stuff you think you should definitely check out. Um, I, I have you read the New Jedi Order? I mean, that I, I always throw people that way. I love it so much, and you have read the X-wing books, um. So I'm thinking, you know, you probably have an idea of what's going on with some characters there, but I'm not seeing I Jedi on there. So I would definitely get, you know, you've already read the Jedi Academy trilogy, so you better get I Jedi. Get that one and make that your next book to read. Read that one, and then maybe go into the New Jedi Order. Uh, that would be the direction I would send you book wise. Um, comics. Man, there's so many good comics out there right now. Uh, you have read Legacy, so that's continuing with another volume of Legacy. If you are, if you are completely 100% up to date on Legacy, there's that you can jump onto in single issue and follow those along like you, you know, never stepped away. Or you can read things like uh, Invasion. That's all concluded and wrapped up now. Supposedly satisfactory. You know, our opinions vary on that. Me and Dark Horse, but that's another one out there that you could grab and read. Uh, you know, there's there's a lot of older Kotor type comics out there right now. Night Errant's got a couple comic trilogies out there. I see trilogies. There were what three volumes of that. That was a great one too. We liked that a lot. If you're thinking about just the post Return of the Jedi stuff, uh, X Wing, of course, and Jedi Academy trilogy and Thrawn trilogy you already mentioned. I would definitely have those in there. I Jedi, as Mark mentioned. Um, there's a lot of stuff that comes back as far as Callista and whatnot from the uh, Children of the Jedi, Darksaber, Planet of Twilight stuff. But whether or not those would be essential or not, I, I think is kind of up in the air. Same thing with, you know, there are characters and situations that come back somewhat from the uh, Black Fleet Crisis, though not much, and some from the Corellian Trilogy. What I would honestly do is go with the ones you've already said you've read, right? The Dark Empire comics, Thrawn... Jedi Academy Trilogy and X-Wing, and probably just pick up with New Jedi Order, then Legacy of the Force, then Fate of the Jedi to get yourself caught up. I'm not sure that Dark Nest is all that necessary, or those other ones that I mentioned, like the Callista books, if you were to use something to catch up, whether it's talking about Wikipedia, my Star Wars Timeline Gold over at StarWarsFanWorks.com slash Timeline, or actually, just recently, we started putting my Star Wars EU Primer podcast into the feed here for the show as, like, bonus content. And that would be another way to get sort of caught up on the events of those books that really aren't necessary, but maybe introduce a character or a situation or two that get referenced heavily in other books. For instance, Callista, her appearance in Fate of the Jedi has much more impact and you'll actually care if you've read the Callista books. But the Callista books aren't really anything to write home about for that era of the EU, they're not all that great. So it just sort of depends on your taste, how much you're willing to read summaries to get from book to book, and how much you feel like you must read the actual book and that summaries just wouldn't cut it for you. But I'm assuming if summaries wouldn't cut it, you wouldn't be asking about which books are essential because you'd be trying to read them all anyway. Yeah, and, and I guess that would be my next thing to, to you, Sean, is uh, go ahead and send us another email down the road or, or a Facebook post or something like that and, and tell us you know, what it is you like the most about Star Wars to help us better point you. I mean... With what you have read, there are a lot of things out there that I would, you know, I'd point you at. I'd point you at some uh, Karen Travis's works. I'd point you at some of the Bane novels. I mean, there's a lot of stuff, but, you know, if you're not into Sith, I wouldn't be pointing you back towards the KOTOR stuff where there are Sith everywhere. You know, um, if you didn't really care about, you know, really dark and edgy stuff, maybe New Jedi Order wouldn't be for you. Uh, that's definitely one of the things when people ask, you know, where should I go next? 
it's it's always good to preface it when you're when you're coming to me and Nathan with what you like because it's easier to tell you what books you would probably like if we know what it is about Star Wars you enjoy. You know, I mean, I, I wouldn't send somebody down a Mandalorian path if they absolutely hated Mandalorians. I mean, I'm one that my big three are Jedi, Sith, and Mandalorians. Those are the big three communities in Star Wars. It doesn't matter what era, what time it is. Those are there's always some of those factions, whether the Sith are dead at this point or so we think or or what. There's something going on with them. Their legacy lives on in texts. And then all of a sudden, wait, here's Krayt showing up in legacy. So a lot of cool stuff there. And as, an e, uh, as Nathan mentioned real quick, the EU primer is actually now up. Uh, by the time this episode plays, all five episodes will be up on the Star Wars Report website. Uh, there is a tab at the top you can find to go to direct links as well. But it has been released in the feed. So you have that too uh, at your disposal. It is a great tool. Did I also mention how much fun it is? I mean, Nathan, I love the fact that you kind of set it in-universe with the droids and stuff beeping. Every time I start it and play it, I listen all the way through that because it's just kind of fun. I'm like, man, we should do that sometime. Yeah, I want to say that the voice of the guy that I used, the uh, 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 the pilot, was designed to sound a lot like Jib's chorus in Second Strike whenever we put that out that Michael Haspel did. So well, I, I just like that accent. Uh, we now have two. Here from Eli De Silva, we can do these sort of back to back. We do have several times that we have people who have written multiple times here. This is Ellie. Is it Ellie? It could be Ellie. Uh, Excuse me. Yeah. Ellie De Silva um, says, "Hey guys, I have a suggestion for whenever you two make another feedback episode, like now. Maybe you could each make a top ten or more list of worst or most disappointing EU stories, be it from any medium—comics, books, games, etc. It could be a single story or a whole series." It'd be great to know what you guys didn't like over the years and why. Also, it's just fun to listen to fans rant and bash on this kind of stuff. Maybe you guys might put the Crystal Star on your lists. Never read it, but from what I've heard, it was pretty bad. I couldn't make a very good list, seeing as my knowledge of the EU isn't as large. I would maybe put Dark Empire as an honorable mention, just because of the amount of plot holes that the series had. Cam who? And the excessive use of the word dark in everything. Maybe not the worst, but definitely disappointing. I also want to follow up by giving one more honorable mention. I'm not even sure where you would put this in Star Wars canon, probably in a black hole, but when you think bad Star Wars, one thing always comes to mind. The Star Wars Holiday Special. Yes, I know, I vomited in my mouth too. I just wanted to mention it so that no one cops out and puts it as number one, though it'd still be funny to listen to your thoughts. So with that, love the podcast and hope to listen to more EU discussion in the not-so-far-away future. May the Force be with you and happy life day to all. Yeah, I love I love the holiday special not not the holiday special itself but your reference to it because vomiting in your mouth uh that, that definitely is some reaction that many of us have and and i love it the most though because it came from the mind of our maker it's like really george were you taking lsd when you made this like i don't even know what in the heck grandpa chewy is doing over there with that chick in that video but it definitely looks triple x rated i don't know uh as as for the top 10 worst and most disappointing EU stories, I, I don't know about you, Nathan, but I smell a full episode there. That is quite possible. Though those who say that uh, that sometimes we're too negative uh, would probably bash us there. We don't get that nearly as much as RFRN did, but man, uh, that would be a pretty pretty heavy. Although, I mean, it's a lot of them are kind of the, the no-brainers, I guess, out there. Ruins of Dantooine, um, uh, taking Dark Empire and turning it into Dark Empire 2 and Empire's End, Crystal Star, etc., etc. But yeah, that might be a that might f- make for a good episode in and of itself if we preface it with, hey, you know, you guys asked us. Um, I will say <laughs> on the Star Wars Holiday Special thing that, yeah, the cartoon in it is weird enough as it is, but at least that has some redeeming 
value to it. And yes, it did introduce Chewie's family, who show up elsewhere as well, um, even as early as some of the, the UK Star Wars stories, like Way of the Wookiee. But, and Boba Fett. And Boba Fett, of course. Uh, I mean, like, the, the, the non-cartoon part had had the redeeming value oh, yeah. of the, the Wookiee family and whatnot. But yeah, the whole idea of the, the Wookiee porn, um, he did it all for the Wookiee, um, and all that kind of stuff, that just... There's just so much of that holiday special that just makes you sit back and go, what the hell were they thinking? I get that they wanted it to be like a variety show thing, but I, I think it's it's like a buffet, right? If it's a variety show, you want the variety of content to all be good. So you have a nice, pleasant experience. Instead, what we got was like a buffet of spam, more or less. Uh, nothing really good in there at all. As you say, a buffet of spam. I mean, I think about... The dark time, that time between films where there was nothing being put out, you know, the, the very dark times. We're talking medieval dark times for those older fans out there. And and then you had this and then everybody in the public that watched this, that was lucky enough to sit down in front of their TV and catch this. Hated it so bad that this really left a stain on Star Wars. Like, you know, I mean, that, that's a, that's a funny part about it. It's like I, I could realize then why why so many people were like, oh, Star Wars. Like if you if you caught that and that's what Star Wars was for you, how that would be just an immediate turnoff to that name. You'd be like, nah, no, thanks. See, I got to take my minor exception. This is something that's going to wind up in a in a somewhat near future episode of from the Star Wars library. I've got to the point where. I finished recording all the videos for the Ewok stuff, so it's basically just the oddball UK stuff, uh, Star Wars 3D left, and then a couple of special supplemental episodes to sort of bridge the 1980s stuff with the stuff uh, when we get into the 1990s. And one of the topics that I'm going to bring into that is this idea of the Star Wars Dark Times. People talk about the Star Wars Dark Times back in the 80s uh, as if there was nothing being produced or... Usually the, the common wisdom is there's nothing being produced but the West End Games Star Wars role-playing game. And then it was this giant period of time in which that was the only place to get Star Wars material from. And that just isn't the case. It was three years. That's it. 1988 saw the last two issues of Star Wars 3D. After that, there were no other Star Wars comics being produced. Yes, there was a big gap in movies. Yes, there was a big gap in novels. But when it comes to comics and Star Wars EU material in general... Outside of the RPG, it was only a three-year gap. That's the same size gap we get between every Star Wars film in each trilogy. It doesn't make sense for people to harp on that as much as they did. It's like we, it's like the opposite of putting on rose-colored glasses to look back at the past. Instead of looking at it as better than it was, we somehow think it was worse than it was. It's not as big a time as people make it out to be. Um, but <laughs> isn't that one of those things like like everybody's story gets a little bit more embellished? I had to walk five miles in the snow exactly. to get my Star Wars comic. <laughs> exactly. Um, so anyway, that'll be that'll be coming up there. If you're not checking that out, that's on uh, uh, YouTube. I always put the links on our Facebook page though when new episodes come out, so you'll you'll see it. It's supplement number whatever. I've got several more to record before then. Um, so from the same listener, uh, continuing for a different email. Uh, hey guys, I just had some questions that have been bothering for the longest time that I wondered if you could answer. The first one is, whatever happened to the lightsaber that Obi-Wan gave to Luke in A New Hope after the Thrawn trilogy? I know Luke gives it to her, that is, Mara, at the end, and on the cover of Star Wars Union, fantastic artwork, by the way, you see it on her belt, but inside the actual comic and in many other EU sources, she always has a purple lightsaber or something close to it. 
I know that at some point she makes her own lightsaber, like most Jedi do, but whatever happened to Anakin slash Luke's lightsaber? The second one is about the clone troopers and stormtroopers. I know that during the beginning years of the Empire, most of the soldiers were clones, but as time went on, I'm guessing because the clones have a short lifespan, the Empire introduced volunteers from the various Imperial Academies into the ranks, but there have been stories around A New Hope where there were some clone soldiers, and they didn't look like they came from the same template as Jango Fett. What was up with that? How many soldiers during the classic era were volunteers, and how many were clones, and when did the transition between the two happen, if it happened at all? Thank you for your time, and may the Force be with you. I gotta say, on this one, um, I guess as far as the lightsaber, as I recall, she keeps it. Uh, and of course it winds up back in the family anyway, with Luke and Mara getting married. But yeah, she does wind up, at least by the time we get to Mysteries of the Sith, going with the purple lightsaber. Um, they don't really make a big deal out of what happened to it. I mean, really, the only presence of that lightsaber uh, that mattered in storyline terms is the fact that it gave Luke Skywalker a weapon to be able to use, since it would have been found with the hand that was used to make Luke Skywalker. Um, Wasn't that Luke? I was was adding the... uh, Like with the Sith? Isn't that the Sith Echo? (laughs) I was just adding the little, uh, uh, almost an apostrophe in there, like speaking Klingon or something. As for the clone trooper, stormtrooper stuff, I mean, I, from what I understand, it's just basically a mixed bag. I mean, they keep the clone troopers going, but they do transition near the end of the Clone Wars from the Kamino facility to the Spartai cloning cylinder, uh, the same kind that we see in uh, the Thrawn trilogy. And you've got those clones being made to fight alongside the other ranks. But I mean, even in terms of of right after Revenge of the Sith, you've got Darth Vader in the Ghost Prison, and we've got characters who are military officers, and many of them going into service are, you know, individual recruits. So it kind of, it's a mixture of things. And the real-world answer is that the joke was, for a long time, that maybe Stormtroopers were clones. But we had no indication that they actually really were. So in most of the EU prior to about 2000-2002, we got stories of individual stormtroopers, like Davin Felth in Tales from the Most Isley Cantina, only for them to wind up whenever the clone troopers were revealed to be the precursor to stormtroopers in Attack of the Clones, for them to start working in this idea of clone stormtroopers, both in the early Empire era and in the era of the classic trilogy. So you wind up with things like that General Skywalker storyline, for instance, where you've got Luke running into a really, really old clone trooper. It's... The truth is, it doesn't seem to be a clear division between the two as far as phases in the Empire's growth of the Stormtroopers. But I think that's less because it would... I mean, it's not that it wouldn't have made sense for there to be a transition period, because certainly it would have made logical sense in-universe, but the way that it all developed in real-life publishing made that type of clear distinction impossible. They would have wound up contradicting a lot of stuff uh, story-wise that they were already telling. Only Imperial Stormtroopers are this precise. Obi-Wan's obviously referring to the 501st, not the conscripts that were shooting at that Jawa trailer. I mean, because those guys couldn't hit the broadside of a barn. Uh, you know, they, they have, like Nathan said, you know, we've seen other stories where other regular Joes can uh, be cloned. Um, Karen Travis gave us a couple there where we saw even some some Jedi being cloned as well, and that kind of not going so well. Um, you know, 
so it, it's it's a transition there. I, I liked how they did it. You know, the Empire was cloning other people, not just the Django templates. Plus, they were bringing in actual people off the streets that wanted to do it. And then later, as the Empire grew, they were forcing people into it. So I always assumed that, you know, the, the, the shoddy work that we see in A New Hope and the fact that none of those stormtroopers could hit anything. These are people that have been forced in it, had the indoctrination forced on them, kind of like the Eye of Palpatine, that little uh, Stardust or the little asteroid that went through space, picking up people and, and forcing them to go through the indoctrination and stuff and basically brainwashing them into thinking that they were stormtroopers and stuff like that. But I mean, that to me was what was going on with the regular folk. I mean, you're going to have some people that don't want to be there. Obviously, they're not as skilled as the rest and they're just doing the best they can. So, you know, you could see it as Obi-Wan was lying when he said that those stormtroopers were so precise, or he was just thinking back to the time when they were all Django Fett two crack shots with their DC-17 rifles. But, you know, I think that they've done a good job taking all the variations of what we've been told here and there and, and kind of making it work. Uh, you know, there are holes. I, I'm a big fan of I want to know what's going on with the clones. You know, when did Palpatine start cloning everybody? When did all that go crazy? So, you know, the same kind of thing has happened with the stormtroopers because they're being cloned. So it's like, OK, when did they switch to the Sparties? When did those things fire up? And how did that start affecting them? I mean, we, we know about clone madness and things like that. But even the way that they were been presented with the Kaminoans and the way that their template worked was a little bit different. So it was like, okay, obviously the Sparties are the ones that make them go completely cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. All right. The other one, it takes so long. But I, I think back on Palpatine, it's like he's not somebody to just throw away technology. So yeah, maybe he's not using the Kaminoan technique as well. Maybe he's, you know, using the Sparties more often, but I could see him still using the other facility. You know, it, it's growing the Django clones at a much slower rate. But there's your arcs. There's all your, your cream of the crop. There's your officers. I mean, I could see him just spreading those ones out, like maybe only getting one crop every five years, but putting them in very high ranked positions or something like that, you know, because they're going to be the ones that are going to be more fanatical in their obsession. So you've got that aspect of it, too, because there is that big joke when it comes to, you know, only Imperial Stormtroopers are this precise. I, I, and I love the way that plays in. As for the lightsaber, I, I know Tails has a is a Infinity's version there where we see Ben Skywalker end up getting it. And I've always liked that. That's been near and dear to me. I really, truly expect at some point to have them write something like that where Ben takes that lightsaber. And decides to honor his mom and his father and use it or something like that. Because that to me is where I think it should go. I think Ben should end up using it somehow. Like write a story where his lightsaber gets destroyed and that's he goes on to the Mara Jade and, and that's the only ship or the only uh, lightsaber he has in there is is hers that's been left in there, Luke and, and Mara's old room or something. You know, I mean, I just I, I would love to see that lightsaber continue on. I, I've always felt like it's had a destiny in and of itself. And when we saw it come back with Luke Skywalker and we saw Mara, you will kill Luke Skywalker. And she does by killing the clone. I just I, I love the way it all clicked in. And that's, you know, that's me in the EU right there. When it all clicks, man, I'm like, yeah, this is awesome. Yeah, thank goodness the Emperor had hiccups that day, so the, the last command was actually, you will kill Luke Skywalker, so killing the clone would actually count. Um, as for the clones, yeah, I just, I I don't know, the, the, the idea that they are so precise has always bothered me. Certainly the clone troopers in many cases were, but man, those stormtroopers were not. Uh, but apparently, according to Randall and Clerks, uh, they're not good at very many other things either, because as you may recall... He asked the question of whether or not, do you think the average stormtrooper knows how to install a toilet main? All they know is killing in white uniforms. Um, and that's pretty much <laughs> it. That's all they've got. 
Um, another email coming in from Andy, whose last name I am probably going to butcher here. Uh, Sizopolsky, perhaps? Uh, K-S-I-E-Z-O-P-O-L-S-K-I. Um, he says, Hey guys, I love the podcast. You all do a bang-up job and your knowledge of the EU is very impressive. I just started following you guys October 30th and I never knew there was an EU podcast. I wish I knew about this earlier. Now, there seemed to be quite some frustration in pinning down the Old Republic in the timeline of Star Wars EU. As a faithful follower of many MMORPGs, I can tell you that this is part of the nature of the beast. From the ranting in the episode, you came across as not really understanding the unique nature of MMOs and how a set timeline, even of a few years, can totally cripple the game from a story perspective. Let me explain, and I apologize for the essay. Standard media like movies, comic books, novels, and video games have a concise beginning, middle, and end. This makes it very easy to drop it in a timeline. Novel A will happen between events X and Y. This gives us an established amount of time for Novel A to occur in. However, the nature of the MMORPGs and the Old Republic specifically is vastly different. Because the medium asks us to directly influence events and story, every player's choice will be different, and thus the outcome of events will be different. Not to spoil anything, but the fate of some major players in the Old Republic universe have a vastly different outcome depending on the class you play and the choices you make. That makes timelines absolutely hellish. You need to keep in mind that an MMORPG has a story that is ever-expanding. The games and story will continuously grow, so dropping in a novel after the Old Republic game really doesn't work. When you write a novel that occurs after the events in the Old Republic, you'd have to base that novel on the current state of the game, not events that may occur seven years from now. Heck, a major expansion for the game could jump events in the game by five years or so. You can have old adversaries die and new ones rise up before the game runs its course. That can totally screw up EU canon. Spoilers ahead. For example, let's say that there is a novel that occurs after the Old Republic runs its course. It was released a few weeks before launch. This creates hype for the release of the game, so from a business perspective, it makes sense. Well, in the novel, they may talk about Darth Malgus, or he may even be a major character in the book. After all, everyone and their mother was obsessed with Malgus before the Old Republic came out. Now let's fast forward ten months or so. Star Wars The Old Republic releases a new operation, and in playing it, one specific event occurs. Darth Malgus dies. Your Old Republic novel that came out before launch that was supposed to occur after the game concludes is now crippled with major continuity errors. If this was a standard video game with a linear storyline, this type of continuity error wouldn't occur. But because The Old Republic is ever-shifting, this kind of thing can easily happen. End spoiler. I believe this was the reason that Bioware was very cagey on when the game takes place in the overall timeline. Pinning themselves down to a span of a few years is suicide from a story perspective, which is one thing that all the hype and advertising for the game was focused on. Story. I totally respect wanting to pin down when events occur in the timeline and what nature those events may be. But with multiple possibilities happening simultaneously, the only way to have all those events occur is multiple timelines. Of course, that's just my two cents, but I hope it gleans a little bit of understanding on the medium of MMOs. Now, one thing I would say, I do get the nature of MMOs here, okay? But this is Star Wars, and Star Wars operates under somewhat different rules than many, and there are certain things they were keeping to themselves that should not have had to have been kept to themselves. They wouldn't tell us when the game starts. Not when it ends, when the game starts. There is nothing in the Old Republic that goes back in time and shifts the nature of when this story must take place, even if not all the storylines happen simultaneously, and some of them don't. Events of certain classes affect the events of other classes. For instance, uh, the issue with the Emperor's voice being set free 
from Selma Core in one storyline sets up the ability for another character to destroy Selma Core and to confront the Emperor himself in a different class storyline. Obviously, they're not all exactly simultaneous, although many parts of them are. But there's never anything that says we're going to go back even further than the window in which we say it takes place. Um, so they should have been able to give us at least a specific starting point for the story. They didn't. They let it be assumed that it was 3,000, what, 3,643 BBY as the starting point for the longest time uh, without ever giving us any actual confirmation of that only based on the 10-year the references and such that are in the game. The idea of it being about a, a decade since the Great Galactic War hit the Treaty of Coruscant but now we get the Star Wars The Old Republic Encyclopedia that in detail gives us all kinds of story information, pinning down certain aspects of different choices that are made, and gives us a firm starting date that was three years later than anybody had expected it to be. I get the idea that they need to have a situation where this story can just continue to grow and evolve. I'm a big player of Defiance right now, and it's the same thing there. You want it to grow and evolve over time, and I like that MMOs can do that. But... If that is the case, then Lucas Books, Lucasfilm in general, and Lucas Books specifically, should not be producing other content to tie into this. This should be story set before the game, then the game itself, and that's it. The Lost Sons that's supposed to be concurrent to the game should not have been written. Because in order to be concurrent to the game, it has to have a set time frame in which the game takes place. And we already know it's been shifted because the references in Annihilation don't work anymore because they've had to change when... The comic series takes place in relation to Annihilation because they had to change when the game was assumed to take place because they finally pinned it down three years later than anybody expected. Annihilation as a novel by itself should never have been written, or at least not until the game itself is completely defunct. Because Annihilation is based on the ending of all the class storylines and most of the big operations and is set immediately after the game. So, yes, you know, it's, it's a nebulous thing. And in most respects, it should remain a nebulous thing if this were any other franchise's MMO. But it being a Star Wars one, it needs to have a dedicated starting point because they have all this other EU stuff being created around it, where it is just one of many things being added to the continuity. This is not World of Warcraft where there's the game and there's spin-off stuff to add flavor to the game. This is a universe in which there are comics and novels and the game, etc., etc., that are all meant to fit together. And as long as they are producing comics and novels that are concurrent to, immediately before, like Fatal Alliance was supposed to be, or after the game, there must be a set time frame. Otherwise, it does not work. So either they've got to stop doing that and shouldn't have done it in the first place, or they have to treat this MMO differently, and so do we as fans. Rant over. Mark. Well, and I'm fine if they want to hold off on books and stuff to tie into it until after, like, certain events. Like, okay, like, like he mentioned, you know, they give you another update. Now the game spins off in a new direction. Now that you're in this new direction, now write your books and stuff that's set in that old direction stuff that you know where that is. But, yeah, you got to have a point that starts. I, I, I'm okay as long as you give me one time frame to start it with so I know, okay, this game's set here. Or not where we assume it's set here and then find out, oh, no, this is 300 years later or earlier. You know, I, I want to say the same thing happened with, with my perception of Red Harvest. I thought it was set earlier in the timeline than it was. And it still worked, but I really thought it worked even better when it was set up more clo uh, closer to uh, Into the Voids era and stuff. I thought it was much, much older than it was. I was like, oh, that's even creepier. 
but you know, I, I don't know much about the MMOs. It's one of those things that always perplexes me. I mean, like, does everybody get to play with Malgus and, and is Scourge on everyone's team? And, and how does that work? If I'm playing and Scourge is on my team and Nathan's playing and Scourge is on his team and, and we come across each other, how do I, that just boggles my mind. I have no idea how that works. So, I, I mean, I understand that you do got to have some fluidity here because there's aspects of this that will never happen. Like, I, I don't know, like, what happens if we both have Scourge on our team? Does one of our Scourges disappear? Can we not see each other? How does that work? Well, the other thing that ties into this, too, is that, you know, from the standpoint of uh, of those events, you know, how it can grow, how maybe you can have a starting point that maybe the ending point needs to remain kind of nebulous, uh, BioWare is not working in a vacuum when it comes to the Old Republic. They have to run their things through Lucasfilm, through continuity checks and such, just like any other medium. So if the decision was made within the game's storyline to say, take down Malgus, or take down the human body of the Emperor, etc., 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 those are things that are now known across all media. That's why the Old Republic Annihilation could use that. Which means, then, that there should not be the ability on Bioware's part, given that other things are already being produced tying into it, to do anything surprising. For instance, um... You would not have a situation where Bioware for the Old Republic would be allowed to do something where you kill the, the, the ancestor of Luke Skywalker so that he is never born. Why? Because that stuff already exists within the continuity. There are already limits to what they can do. I would assume that when it came to the Old Republic, there's a list of things that were okay, and there's always things that are somewhat off-limits. You do get the clashes every now and then, like Maya Catherine Bonhoff claiming that Nick Ross, too, really died in Coruscant Nights when he shows up later in Luke Skywalker in the Shadows of Mindor, and her still claiming that. Um, but by and large, if something is going to be produced that's, that's a contrary to continuity, when that gets thrown into a pitch phase, they'll say, nope, nope, mm -mm, can't do it this way, this would clash. Um, like when I was trying to write for initially for Star Wars Tales, and one of the things we wanted to do was to have um, uh, Kyle Katarn and Jan Orr's already married. And that turned out to be a major story point, the whole issue of, you know, why aren't they married and such, because that was nixed early on that, no, nah, they didn't want to go that way with the character and have him married. So with that restriction, now you craft your story. I, I see no way in which Bioware has the kind of freedom that, say, World of Warcraft uh, has. When it comes to this type of MMO stuff, they are a different beast by nature of being part of the Star Wars expanded universe and the way the EU works compared to uh, other licensing ventures. I just, I, I don't see it. We have a quick one here from Brian V. Klein who says, Hey guys, just thought of a question that I don't think I've ever heard asked before. But supposedly it took Obi-Wan and Yoda years of practice to be able to become one with the Force and eventually Force spirits after death. So how was Vader slash Anakin able to do it just hours after being redeemed? Just a thought. Keep up the awesome work. Oh, yeah, that's actually in a book, dude. Um, that's in the Obi-Wan, I believe, and Anakin's biography. Uh, Obi-Wan comes and grabs him, and he, gives, and he basically says, you have this one shot, come with me now, and Anakin did. I mean, Obi-Wan forgave him post-death, and uh, they both went off into the netherworld of the Force to live happily as Force ghosts, skipping around in their blues. Yeah, Ryder Wyndham saves the day on that one, because that was always something that felt contradictory. Now what I want to know... <laughs> the other is, side, right? Yeah, why does Anakin show up after death looking like his younger Hayden Christensen self when Obi-Wan after death doesn't wind up showing up like his Ewan McGregor self? That's or what Yoda. I want. 
I, I want to see a young little pimptastic Yoda sitting there all like, you know, flexing his muscles or something, not not little old gimpy Yoda. But the other side, though, too, is 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 the Qui-Gon aspect. OK, this is something. And I mean, I'm just going on a tangent here with this, but Qui-Gon learns from the wills how to do this whole process. Wouldn't Qui-Gon go to the council and say, hey, guys, I just learned this really cool force technique. I, I when did he learn have, it? I thought he was supposed to have learned it, though. After death, I mean, that's what I was always that's, kind of assuming was it was an after death yes, knowledge to, to reemerge or something. That's what I yeah, I've been led to believe the same thing. I don't know where I've been led to believe it, but that's the same thing, which makes me go. So the wills then exist in death because he learned it from the wills. We know that. Are the wills somebody that speaks to you after death? Do they exist in the netherworld? I mean, there is a whole ponder right there. Woo. I'm just glad they didn't try to insert the spirit of Qui-Gon Jinn into Return of the Jedi, because you know Luke would be looking going, Hey, it's Yoda. Hey, it's a guy I think probably is my dad. Hey, it's Obi-Wan. <laughs> hey, who the hell is this guy? Who invited Schindler? <laughs> yeah, He's like, um, wait, wait, was that my dad? Maybe that's my dad. Why is my dad here twice? Oh my god, it's Ra's al Ghul! <laughs> nice. Nice. Um... All right, um, one dealing with the e-reading issue coming in from David Noche, the man whose uh, suggestions and prodding over time actually got me to do that uh, from the Star Wars Library video series. David says, Hi, guys. I was trying to post this on your Facebook page, but despite several attempts, including ones where I was going to cut the post up into smaller pieces, Facebook went into a continuous waiting loop and it never got posted. So here's an email of it instead. The e-reading debate. Greetings, gentlemen. As I write this, I find myself in these thine beautiful United States of America, an occurrence not really infrequent and which falls at the bare minimum once a year during this, our annual post-Christmas 26th of December pilgrimage to my folks' place in Florida the Magnificent. On the flight down, I pondered writing you this very post to ask for your advice. Who knows, maybe it could become a topic on Star Wars Beyond the Films, or a subtopic, or a footnote, or you could just utterly ignore it. Up to you. Essentially, I recently acquired a new tablet. And the question now is what to do with my collections in various series, including Star Wars, going forward. You see, the point of the tablet originally was to be able to browse the internet on the go, intelligently, smaller screen, smartphone browsing wasn't cutting it, and on my own Steam. Draconian and pathetic internet restrictions at work were making checking things like Gmail impossible most ridiculously. So the thought was to tether the tablet to the smartphone or get a 3G tablet, etc. The added attraction of the tablet, which now that I own it has become one of the main attractions in how one uses such a device, is its functionality as the best platform to e-read. E-books feel much better and are a better size than on the smartphone, and e-comics are hands down the perfect size, especially compared to the smartphone, where full-page viewing of a comic book page makes the text unreadable, forcing you to activate panel zoom mode, which is not the way the artist intended his art to be seen and read. The placement of the panels relative to each other within a given page is important and the tablet delivers this to you in style. So let me narrow this down to where it concerns Star Wars. Given e-reading is awesome, given you can have your whole collection on one device and have the novels be textually searchable to boot, given you don't have to worry about losing or damaging your books due to, knock on wood, fire, flood, or theft, and given the inexorable fact that in the future one day e-reading will be the only kind of reading as paper will no longer be produced, though how far in the future this is is debatable, then might and I, going forward, just start purchasing the e-versions of Star Wars books and comics. But then, what would that do to my physical collection? Would it simply stop at its current size, sitting on my bookshelves? Heaven forbid, 
Would I not then just go back and start slowly acquiring my physical collection all over again as e-products? It's a hell of a quandary for me, as I consider myself to be at the crossroads now. Do I get into e-reading and adopt it, as everyone will be forced to in years to come? I add in closing that I'm a big-time physical book lover. My wife was gasping in shock over how my bookshelves are arranged almost exactly the same way Nathan's are on From the Star Wars Library. Across, on top, horizontally, then horizontally in piles that are too high to hide the titles of the books in the background. A shock effect amplified by the fact that my screen where I watch the episodes is in front of the bookshelves, so you have the two views superimposed as you sit in front of the computer. So, I'm a book lover. And still, I feel more and more that anything physical is quickly becoming barbaric, and that everything should now just all be electronic. Therefore, the question is, what to do? And what do you guys plan on doing with respect to the e-reading issue? Any advice would be greatly appreciated. Have a pleasant day. Sincerely, David Noche. Well, David, you're a step ahead of me. I, I My mom has got a tablet, so I have one available to me. I understand how it works, and I love it. I, I have to admit, it's a great little thing. I look forward to getting one. I, right now, I'm trying to replace a netbook. Or a not, yeah, a netbook. Uh, my netbook is falling apart, and it's the only computer that is reliable at this point. All my tech is falling apart around me. And that is a, that's something that I've been dealing with since my original NES. I mean, all my technology ends up eventually going to the Poodoo factory on me. And so as I was thinking about this, you know, back when we were first talking about the e-reading issue, I want to get them on both. I like having when I'm out and about and I only have, say, you know, right now I always have one Star Wars book on me unless I'm really close to ending it. And then I'll have two on those rare days. But most often I just have like, you know, right now the last Jedi sitting in my hand or in my cargo pocket at all times. And if I ran out of it, I could grab my phone. I could pull up at least some of the books that I have on Kindle on there. Um, you know, I, I've still got uh, Choices of One that I still have not read. I've, I've got the uh, paperback now, and I bought the Kindle version way back when, and I just never got around to it. Other books came up, and I read those. And, and so it's still sitting there waiting for me. I could just hop on the phone and bloop, read it. It is smaller, but I do have that option. But I get back to that aspect of as soon as my battery dies, I'm again without uh, EMP. You know, revolution, that movie. If that were to ever happen, your ebook collection is gone. I mean, you know, yeah, it's there, but what if you can't access it? Uh, and that to me is a panic. What if I have all my books that I have right now and I put them all in ebook and I all went that direction? No, 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 no. My, for me, the quandary is I got to do both. So the question now comes down to which would be the cheaper way for me to go about it. Do I get all the ebooks as they come out or do I wait until they do these little packages like they've been doing and buy like four or five books for four bucks? That seems to me the better way for me to go. Or if you were to switch to, you know, because I don't have the, the tablet, but you do. So maybe if you switch to the ebooks now, maybe going to those secondhand stores and making a game out of finding the books at a cheaper price, like, like set a dollar limit. Like I won't pay any more than this price for a physical copy of a book from here on out because I already own the book in an E format. And you just go looking for that price tag, make it a, a an adventure, a scavenger hunt. That's what I did with the, with the, uh, fear of, uh, galaxy of fear books. You know, every time I'd find one, it was like, Oh man. But when it came to online shopping, I had to put a price limit because I could find everyone I needed. I'm still missing nine and 10 and, uh, every one of them out there, they're, over 15 bucks and I will not pay shipping, including over 15 bucks for those books they are too small. I did this. I, I keep waiting. And I, I, I was like five books short and slowly over the years, I found what I've been looking for. And I just keep telling myself the OCD and myself, shut up. You, we got this. 
and we just keep waiting and we keep going back to eBay and we just keep Amazoning it up and sooner or later it'll come down. I, like I said, I'm down to two from five over a four year gap. So, you know, I, it's kind of fun. It's kind of stress. It's the OCD side of me that adds the stress, but I understand the, the dilemma you're in here because yeah, it's like, okay, we're talking about a lot of books behind us. I, I mean, I'm assuming, you know, as you said, yours is like Nathan. So, I mean, behind me is where mine is. I'm assuming his is behind him because that's where you want to be close to your books. So I like the idea of having them on my phone, but I'm constantly having an issue with my phone's battery dying. So there's that aspect of it. And I, I just, the limits of technology are all around me. So I would not put all my eggs in that one basket yet. I think it kind of depends on whether, like the nature of the collection, I guess, uh, for most fans. Because, I mean, for instance, I'm a big proponent of e-reading in some respects. If all I'm doing is reading to enjoy, or I'm reading maybe even to take notes, but not something when I'm reading to collect. For instance, I've got all the Game of Thrones books on my nook, plus tons and tons and tons of other books that I've read. I'm right now reading the Joe Ledger series by uh, uh, Marbury, the, starting with Patient Zero. And these are some really good books. I enjoy them, and yes, it would stink if I lost access to them. But you know what? It wouldn't screw up a collection or anything. Um, except, of course, if my nook died, I would lose the Star Wars ebooks that I have, uh, that are, in this case, the ebook exclusive, like Elysia and stuff like that, because I don't buy the paperbacks to get them with the stories reprinted, because it's just rebuying the same thing. Um, if it's something for a collection, though, I would prefer to have it physically. I do a lot of e-reading, uh, through the Nook. I do a lot of e-reading through the Comixology app and even the somewhat sped up generally horrible Dark Horse Comics app. Um, but when it comes to actually collecting something, I want a physical copy. Not only because my right now my collection is gigantic anyway, but because there are, as Mark said, sort of limitations to the technology. As much as I would like to say that e-reading is the future, um, I'm not sure that we're at a point where it is a stable enough market yet. Because there, there are several things that stand out to me as issues with this. One is... Uh, I remember with annoyance how I bought the early Star Wars ebooks that tied in, like Fool's Bargain and all that kind of stuff. I bought those back originally for what is either Adobe Reader or Microsoft Reader or Sony Reader, whatever the reader was that I had on my computer at the time. But over time, as those readers went out of style, as they updated themselves, etc., etc., as I switched between computers and moved the files with me, I lost access to most of those books. They would not open correctly, no matter how hard I tried. So I eventually had to repurchase all of those ebooks on the Nook. So now I've got access to them at any given point. Now they're back in my collection, but they're electronic. I worry about the day when what you know, what if something happens to one of my you know one of the things I've got the collection through? What if the company goes out of business? What if Barnes and Noble goes under? Will anyone still honor the ebooks you purchased on the Nook? Will they be bought out by somebody and then you can still get your ebooks that way? Or will they simply disappear? What about the Comixology company? What if they disappear? Do I still get access to all of my comics? If Dark Horse uh, goes under, or better yet, when Dark Horse, if, but perhaps when, Dark Horse loses the Star Wars license and can't have those issues on their servers anymore. What happens to the, the Star Wars comics that I've got purchased through the Dark Horse app? Where do those go? I remember when uh, The Force Unleashed came out, I was doing all kinds of reviews. We did some insane coverage of it for the EU Review and, and, and elsewhere that covered all the different versions of it. And one of the versions we talked about 
was the portable version, the mobile version, because THQ had put out this kind of meh, really bad looking one for some cell phones, but then for iPod and whatnot, you had this kind of cool one, it's like an on-rails kind of thing, but you, you motioned the little movements, little symbols that they wanted so that Starkiller would fight. And I always wanted to play it. To date, though, that is the only version of the Force Unleashed one that I have never played. Why? Because by the time I got an iPod, not only had THQ lost the license, so they pulled it from the App Store, but shortly thereafter, THQ itself went under. So if you were someone who had that game, you better make sure you've got it sitting there on your computer or sitting on the iPod. Because if you try to re-download it from the App Store, it's not available. It is simply gone because the company lost the license. Very much like the Wizards of the Coast Star Wars materials that were up on their website. And then when they lost the license, it all disappeared without really any warning to fans who wanted to still have access to that information. So part of it for me is the what if I lose it, not because of something with me or my technology, but the company goes under. There's also the aspect of... You know, I like, for instance, sometimes digital video games and whatnot, and, and digital purchases through the iPads and whatnot. But at the same time, you know, you can't do anything with a digital copy of something once you're done with it. Um, we've got that Amazon thing. I do a lot of eBaying and whatnot, um, and I do a lot of trading games in at GameStop once I'm done with them. Say I had purchased a Tomb Raider, which recently I bought, played through, got 100% completion. But then there's nothing else to do unless you're just going to play online multiplayer. I would have just been stuck if I had purchased it digitally with either deleting it and leaving it on the account or just sitting it, you know, having it sit there and not play it. I would not have been able to trade that in had I not bought it on disc. Instead, I bought it on disc, got done with it, traded it in, got some credit to use towards lowering the out-of-pocket cost of another future game. Um, as long as there are used bookstores, used game stores, people buying things on eBay, there's always a market for that thing that you bought physically, but virtually no market whatsoever for that digital stuff because generally you can't resell it. Um, so I mean, with, with all those issues out there, that to me makes having an e-collection a problem. On the other hand, if I was someone who was just now getting into Star Wars, then an e-collection might be the way to go because you don't, you're, you're unlikely to be able to get everything anyway in physical form at this point. Um, without spending a massive amount of money, and at least in that sense, you can sort of pick and choose, and the convenience is there, and you don't have to constantly haunt eBay or used bookstores or comic stores and so forth to try to find the things that you want. It gives you an easier way to get access to things like the River of Chaos comics, for instance. Um, but yeah, for, for me, as a collector, I will never put all of my eggs in the digital basket because I just currently do not trust... Uh, that everything that I buy now is still going to be available if I want it someday as a collection. If it's a book that I just want to read once and it doesn't matter to me if it disappears, that's another story. I'm cool with that. Yeah, Marvel, they offer up a free digital copy with a lot of their stuff, and, and I've been taking advantage of that. Uh, the Star Wars, not the Star Wars it's about to come out, but the, the recent Star Wars, um, where we're up to, I think, issue four or five, they did it with the first two or three, and I and I took that up. And then I think on the third or fourth issue, they stopped. And I'm thinking to myself, Dark Horse, you kind of blew it. You could you could have continued a little longer, but you cut that cord a little sooner. I mean, Marvel's doing a great job. They're still offering it free, and I'm continuing to amass a, an online collection of my comics. If Dark Horse were to do the same, to to string that out a little farther, you know, get me up through the first arc, maybe into the second arc, and then cut me off. 
then you get the OCD side of me to be like, oh, I got to have it this way too. But you, you cut me off too soon. I'm just like, eh, I didn't need it that well. But I will admit when it comes to comic e-reading, I do like being able when I open up my comic, you know, I, I still love the physical. I open up the comic and I see a glorious spread with a superstar destroyer. This case with the free one that I had, I was able to save that image and actually put it on my computer. You know, I was I, you the, you don't have to scan it. That's what's great. The crispness of the image is boom right there, and you can save it as you go. It, it's great like that. I love that. Um, you know, Nathan mentioned you know the 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 limits of tech and and the, the contracts and licenses going out. That to me, that's that's all that limits of technology that I just I can't stand. You know, if if a contract goes and you can't get your stuff anymore, humbug. Yeah, plus I guess I should say that, yes, it's really cool that you can do those uh, screenshots on some tablets um, because that was the way uh, – I, we just ran into that just recently where we put up that image where it shows that last page or one of the last pages of Legacy Number 7 where they wrongly colored the woman in bed as Maricia Fell, not as Delia Blue. And for the Delia Blue one, it was a digital copy. All I had to do was hit screen capture basically and snap, I've got a picture of it. For the other one – I had to be very careful in not messing up my comic when scanning it on a physical scanner. Um, so there, there is that, that convenience there. Also, it's another wrinkle in the digital comic stuff is you take something like Marvel. I was a reader of all of the digital Marvel stuff when it came to uh, uh, the Ultimate Marvel Universe. They, they've kind of rebooted the Marvel stuff, or the not rebooted, but they've rebranded the Ultimate Marvel stuff a couple of times. You can sort of say there's like three different eras of it. And the first era was one that I had bought in print for years and then wound up selling off, and I wanted to read it all again, so I bought tons of them through the Comixology app, only to find that certain ones simply were not available. The collection was not complete. And now you've got Marvel Unlimited, which I'm a subscriber to, to read any Marvel comics out of this giant library of them at, that you want. But even that is not complete. So there are some times where you'll be reading a series and you'll get to issue number two in the Marvel Unlimited app, but then it's done, and you got to buy them through the Comixology app to be able to finish the series, or vice versa. Um, we have to also look at just the question of, are these digital collections truly complete? And for Star Wars comics, it's not, if I'm understanding correctly. I know that with novels it pretty much is, but the Star Wars comic collection isn't. And I highly doubt we're ever going to see like digital versions of Jedi Apprentice, uh, Jedi Quest, and stuff like that. So any collection that tries True. to go all digital is never going to truly be able to be all digital if you really want everything, because there's just too much stuff out there that's not reprinted that way. Uh, moving on, we have some letters here from Matthew DeRochers. He is a True Kids over on the Star Wars Action News forums and such. Had a chance to meet him a couple of times up at Con Carolinas. He says, Nathan slash Mark, I just finished listening to number 53 after listening to number 52 yesterday. In both shows, you mentioned the possibility of a show you might do with your significant others, which we did shortly thereafter. I think that would be great. I could probably get my wife to listen to that one. You could talk about how you met and how the obsession impacted the relationship. You can also put out the call for listeners to tell their stories. In case you're interested, here's mine. Dawn and I met online through AOL IM way back in 1997 by a fluke. She was just trolling the old AOL community page looking for someone local who was online and just randomly picked me to IM to say hello. After three years of regular IMing, we finally met in person. We became best friends. There was nothing romantic in any way, just best friends. She had never seen Star Wars. This was now the summer of 2001. I got her to watch the original trilogy and then The Phantom Menace. She wasn't, isn't, really into the genre. 
However, I was determined to make her at least know about it. We took on a master and Padawan relationship in the world of Star Wars. Our names are Matt and Dawn, and we jokingly began calling each other Matt, Stir, and Pa-Dawn, as in Master and Padawan. Yeah, I know. <laughs> kinda lame. Come May to- He says kinda lame, not me. I actually kinda like it. Uh, come May 2002, we moved into an apartment together, still as friends, separate bedrooms. The very weekend Attack of the Clones premiered. From that point forward, Star Wars somehow seemed to highlight every life goal ahead of us. After a few months, we slowly came to the realization we were more than just friends. Jump forward to 2005. Early in the year, I had my two vacations planned out for the year. In April, I was going to Indy for Celebration 3, and in October, I was going to Boston for the opening of Where Science Meets Imagination. We'd officially been a couple for about two years by this point. While she was still not a serious Star Wars fan, she had planned to go with me on both of these trips. When I decided to pop the question, we decided the October trip should be our honeymoon. More on that later. In the beginning of April 2005, we had an appointment with a realtor to start looking at houses. The night before was the Toys R Us Midnight Madness for the release of Revenge of the Sith Toys. I was there and back out at Target the following morning at 8 a.m. for more exclusives when the doors opened. Needless to I say, was there too! <laughs> needless to say, my Star Wars collecting had me exhausted as I began house hunting. After two weeks of looking at quite a few houses, we came upon one we really liked. Coincidentally, one room clearly was the bedroom of a young boy and was full of Star Wars toys. That room would end up being my Star Wars collecting room. Nice. Three weeks later, we were in line to get into the first day of Celebration 3 when my fiancé's cell rang and we got the news that we were approved for our home loan. We moved into the house on the weekend of the Revenge of the Sith premiere. I'd gone to the midnight showing and was in the lawyer's office early the next morning to sign the papers on the house, exhausted again. In the middle of moving, I still found the time to drag my fiancé to the theater so I could see Revenge of the Sith the second time. Our wedding was October 22, 2005. That was the night that George Lucas was at the Boston Museum of Science to dedicate the opening of Where Science Meets Imagination's exhibit. When I proposed, we'd already planned our vacation to begin that day, so that's how the wedding ended up at that time. After a few days in Niagara Falls for our honeymoon, we went to Boston to catch the exhibit in its first week. Two years and one day after our marriage on October 23, 2007, at 11.38 a.m., nice number, the shuttle Discovery launched into space carrying Luke's lightsaber. At nearly that exact time, we were looking at the first ultrasound of our baby and finding out he would be a boy. The appointment awesome. was at 11, and we were out of there around noon. So somewhere around the launch of that shuttle, we found out our child would be a boy and decided his name should be Lucas Matthew. He's almost five now, and he's a huge Star Wars fan in his own right. He could mop the floor in Star Wars trivia with kids much older than himself. I'm quite certain. He knows his way around the world of the LEGO Star Wars Complete Saga on PS3 like the back of his hand, too. He's well-rounded, though. He also loves all Pixar movies and the Marvel movies. I guess he's a Disney kid all the way now. Through all these events and several other Star Wars connections that I'm not even remembering, my wife is still not really into the saga. She's a total enabler, though. Our son has tons of Star Wars clothes, shoes, toys, sheets, posters, coloring books, etc. I've bought very few of them. My wife buys the vast majority of them. You gotta love it. So that's my story. Did I mention I have a half-brother named Mark Hamill? M-A-R-C? Yes, different spelling than the actor, but still, what are the odds? <laughs> Keep up the great work on the show, guys. I followed Nathan for a long time now. Last year, when I first heard talk of this show and Mark being a co-host, I discovered the Star Wars Report, and I really liked the show as well. Riley and Bethany, along with Mark, do a great job keeping it interesting, and it keeps me on my toes hearing the opinions of the Blantons. They're about young enough to be my kids. I'm about to turn 39. I totally missed this fact somehow until I saw them in Celebration 6 in August. I never got a chance to speak to them, but I saw them two or three times along with Steve Glosson, whom I did speak to briefly. I'm rambling now. Keep up the good work, guys. Matt.
That's just awesome. I love that your wife's an enabler too. That's how my wife is. Like she's got an affinity when it comes to Jason Solo and Mara Jade, only because they're dark side and she loves the dark side. She's very goss in that regard. She's like Johnny Cash, always in black. Nice. And of course, we did that episode where we talked about our background. So I guess there's not a a need to rehash it right now. But it's very cool to hear hear Matt's story, having got a chance to meet Matt a couple of times. Um, and I'll say that uh, one thing happening with us right now is wedding planning for June 15th, and we've got quite a bit of Star Wars music sort of built into the ceremony, including the Yavin celebration theme uh, being used after they pronounce us man and wife and whatnot. But we also, uh, I don't know if I've mentioned this on the show before or not, she had wanted to take the wedding bridal march, the here comes the bride thing, and add in the imperial march as part of it. Um, so now I've taken a, a copy of a bridal march that I purchased on iTunes and I've now spliced in the Imperial March stuff. So it now goes from, you know, the here comes the bride part to the da 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 until finally moving back uh, into it. In fact, we might just slap that, uh, if we have the opportunity, maybe to the end of this episode so everybody can get a chance to, to hear it. I put a link up at one point uh, I was going to uh, ask you Facebook. if you were going to do it yourself or not because I was going to offer my services because I'd seen you on Facebook going, does anybody out there have a copy? I'm like, it can't be that hard. Well, I'm like, just hoping that there was one that already existed because it's hard <laughs> like, It's hard to get the uh, – the, 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 what's the word I'm looking for? Not the meter, but the just the pacing of it to match, like how fast it runs and how quickly yeah. it's come by and whatnot. But it wound up working, uh, working fairly well. You, you know – Matt, the other thing you mentioned is how all these dates and stuff line up to events for you. And as you're throwing them out there, I mean, for for Re- Revenge of the Sith, that was I went to that midnight per- premiere. The as soon as they hit midnight and that show started, it was no longer my birthday, but it was my birthday when I went and saw it. So it was like it's funny how we have these life events and we relate most to them through Star Wars. It's like I think back to those times and I'm like, okay, what is I doing? Then I think back to the Star Wars events that were going on, you know, and I'm like, okay, yeah, that was then, that was in April, that was in May. Okay, yeah. <laughs> now, I haven't necessarily had a lot of those uh, those connections recently date-wise, but I will say I've been listening to the last uh, few of the Left Behind The Kids audiobooks because I really enjoyed the adult series, so I'm finally listening to the, the ones focusing on the teen characters and whatnot. And at one point we find that the combination to a safe is 326-3827. And we later find that uh, one of the characters' uh, employee number is 326-3827-1138, which always has me cracking up when I hear those <laughs> references in the car. Somebody on that team um, was a Star Wars fan, apparently. Um, all right, also from Matt, he says, Guys, great episode as usual. Thanks. have no idea which one he's talking about because it takes us so long to answer these, but thank you. Uh, I particularly enjoyed this one since I've slowly been filling in holes in my video game library over the last few years. Aha! So, this is dealing with our Lucasfilm episode recently. I frequent a local used bookstore that also carries video games, and I've bought stuff from as far back as the Atari 2600 games. I've been buying Star Wars games even if I don't yet own the system to play them on, simply because they are usually quite cheap. I love the year-by-year breakdowns of games that you gave on this week's show. I was wondering if you know anywhere to download a complete list of all the games in the manner that you went through them. I've got a rough spreadsheet of games that has columns for platforms, year, type, RPG, RTS, etc., and so on, but it's certainly not complete. The list I started was with the help of a Wikipedia list. I can't seem to find a list in real-life chronology with the developer info and other details that you gave. If you can point me to one or share one you might have, that would be greatly appreciated. If not, I'll continue creating my own with further research on the Wook. Keep up the great podcasting, guys. Matt. 
I got to say, when I compiled that list, all I did was grab the list of things that uh, that LucasArts had on their own website, and then went through that and basically just kept looking them up individual game by individual game to figure out which ones were published by whom and developed by whom and that sort of thing. I've never seen a truly complete list. Though if you want a really cool overview, GameTrailers.com did an awesome Star Wars video game retrospective a few years back that is an amazing trip through all of them where you get to see most of them. But no, I've never seen a complete list all in one place. I'd like to think that the stuff that I've got on the Star Wars Timeline Gold is complete as far as games go, but that's not a list just of those. You'd have to hunt for them individually. So I'm not sure I can help you on that one. I remember making a list of my comics when I was, you know, when I first got into doing comics back when KOTOR first started out. You know, I was like, they'd been around, but I was like, no, I'm going to stick with the books. And once I caught up on all the books, I was like, okay, let's do this. And I had a spreadsheet going so I could be, okay, I got that Republic. I need to get this one. I need to get that one. Got to find that one still. I, you know, it's interesting. And it's also, I, I like to that you've got all these games, even though you don't have all the systems and stuff. Because I, I keep all my old systems for the same regard, and I have no GameCube. But I do have the Wii, and I'm glad that they have that because I had games that I bought for the GameCube that I never played on the Wii, and or I never played. And now I have the Wii. If I just go out and get the GameCube controller, I could play them, but I, I've never got around to it. But I, I, it's nice knowing I'm not alone with my craziness. Well, that about wraps up this episode of Star Wars Beyond the Films. Thank you guys once again for hanging around with us as we ponder on sharing the fandom. Remember, you can always listen to our episodes streaming online at the Star Wars Report website, www.starwarsreport.com. Episodes are also available on iTunes, which we encourage you to leave us a review while you're at it. Uh, you can also find links to our episodes on both Twitter and our Facebook page at SWBeyondFilms. Or just type in Star Wars Beyond the Films in the search bar. Hey, but no matter how you get there, be sure to like our page. Our page number is growing. We're actually passing our mothership. The mothership Star Wars report. Uh, we don't tell anybody that, though. It's the best way to interact with us. You can not only post comments to us about the show, we love interacting with you fellow fans. Uh, and if you also have any Star Wars and or EU questions, or you just want to comment about a past episode, fire off. You can email us directly at swbeyondfilms at starwarsfanworks.com. Now, lastly, before we go, we wanted to mention to you our Audible trial. If you go to www.audibletrial.com slash Report, you get a free trial run of audible.com to see what they're all about. Hey, they got more than 100,000 titles. You can explore the Star Wars Expanded Universe or any other genres without being stuck with a book you flat out hate. We all know that sucks. But Audible members, they can exchange any book within 12 months, no questions asked. In this digital age, if you're thinking of making that switch from the page to the screen like we were just talking about this episode... Audible just might be right for you. So, for Star Wars Beyond the Films, this has been Mark and Whistler. And Nate. Saying thanks for listening and may the Force be with you. And don't quote us the odds that we'll be able to fit in all the rest of the feedback that we missed in another episode. That's pretty good odds.
after a few days in Niagara Falls for our honeymoon. Honeymoon? Keep up the great con- I did it again! So the thought was either to tether the tablet to the smartphone, again. The list I started was with the help of what? Excuse me. Hey, it's a guy I think probably is my dad. Hey, it's Obi-Wan! <laughs> hey, who the hell is this guy? Who invited Schindler? <laughs>